Amen. Well, my iPad is not updating, so I'm going to go right in and uh, preach uh, the Word of God. It's, uh, it's an amazing passage of Scripture, and John chapter 4 starts uh, something that's known as the Farewell Discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's set in a real gloomy setting, isn't it? You know, the Lord announced just before this that he was going away, that one, one of his disciples would betray him, and Judas has already gone, uh, uh, gone out. He's gone past that point of no return to the religious leaders in order to, uh, to, to uh, betray the Lord Jesus. And it's amazing, again, to look at, because all that Jesus knows beyond a shadow of a doubt what's going to happen that night. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be taken. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be brutalized. And the next day, he's going to be taken and crucified. The weight of the guilt of all those who would ever tr uh, trust him would be laid upon him, and he would suffer the wrath of God. You know, and uh, the amazing thing about this sermon is that it's so, so full of hope. It's so full of promise. And if you really want to see the character of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's right here in this chapter. You know, so often when we're going through anguish, when we're going through trials, when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through sorrows, when we're going through anxiety and the pressure happens to be again on us, we want all the focus on us. We want people to minister to us. But here's the Lord Jesus, and he really loves these disciples. He really wants the best for them. And he comes to them and ministers to them these precious promises as they happen to be again right here. And we're in this text tonight in verses, again, 25 and 26. And uh, there's something you have to realize about the Word of God and even preaching the Word of God is when we read a text and we read, again, about various different messages being given, we realize those messages are given to that first century audience, aren't they? They're given, again, to whoever is spoken to. So this is primarily a message for the disciples, isn't it? It's only ours by application or our extension as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, when I was younger, we used to sing a little uh, chorus, and it used to go like this, and uh, uh, beg your indulgence. This is why Jim never asked me to do a special at Christmas time. But it goes like this. Every promise in the book is mine. Every scripture, every verse, every line. All our blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. And now you know why you don't sing. Uh, uh, but it's amazing to look at that because it says every promise in the book is mine. And let me just say this. Not every book in the, promise, uh, in, in, in the Bible is mine. You know, when you look at the Abrahamic covenant, even as we looked at it this morning, there's specific promises that are given to the nation of Israel and also given to Abraham that are not given to each one of us. You know, we're not promised that we would have offspring like the stars of heaven or like the sand that happens to be on the sea, seashore. We're not promised a certain geographical local location for us and our posterity. We're not promised that one would come through our line that would be a blessing in all the world. You know, we're not promised, like David is promised, that one will sit on the royal throne and rule forever. You know, these are specific promises that are given to individuals. And the reason why I say that is when we study various different promises that happen to be in the Word of God, we have to ask ourselves this question, who is this promise directed towards? And is it directed towards us? So when we look at this passage of Scripture, when we look at this promise that happens to be again right here about the Holy Spirit, we have to ask ourselves, is this promise for us? You know, what does it mean to the disciples? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is the divine teacher? Does that mean we need other teachers? Does that mean, again, that, that, that we can throw them out and we can just go and have this guidance of the Holy Spirit of God? 
You know, it's amazing to look at these two verses because these two verses have been used to teach so much error. You know, it's basically like this. You, you just have to empty your mind and let the Holy Spirit so fill you, so control you, that, that, that uh, he, he becomes your divine teacher. He gives you these urges. He gives you these nudges. He gives you these understanding of, of the text of Scripture. I had a friend who went to a Bible college in Manitoba, and he said, again, in their preaching classes, they, they, they actually did this in their preaching classes. They, they would open up the Word of God, and they would open up to a random portion of Scripture. They would just open their Bible like that, and wherever it fell, that's what they had to preach to. And what they had to do is, to, is trust the Holy Spirit of God to give them the right a, uh, understanding of that passage, through the right application of that passage. And let, and let me just say this, there is more error that's brought into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and more heresy that's brought in, into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ by that kind of handling of the word of God. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, this is what I'm maintaining. You know, as you look at verses 25 and 26 and the promise that's given here, it's, it's a promise that's exclusively given to the apostles, to the disciples, to these first century believers of Lord Jesus Christ. It is ours by extension and application, but only as we understand how, how it's fulfilled in the disciples' lives. And let me just say, it's absolutely critical for life and godliness that we understand this promise and the fulfillment of this promise. You know, we gain so much confidence in the words of Scripture and in the words of the apostles when we understand this promise. So I want us to go through, I want us to get an understanding of verse number 25 and 26, and then I want us to look how it applies to us by extension, what this promise means to us, what the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God means to us as we live and as we fu uh, function. But let's just read through verses 25 and 26 and think about what it's saying. Think about the promise here. And, and Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, one of the things I, th I think all of us who um, uh, haven't studied the Word of God for some time, well, one of the things we're amazed at is how he chose the disciples and, and chose to keep on using them. I mean, and the reason why I say that is we would have given up on people like that, and we realize that we're like the disciples, aren't we? We mess up. Many times we think of ourselves more than we think of God, more than we think of others. And, and it's amazing how we persevere in the faith of the Lord Jesus. And one of the reasons why we persevere in the faith of the Lord Jesus, or one of the reasons why we can be a blessing to others is not our greatness. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry, again, through our lives. You know, and so he starts off in verse number 25, and he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. And let me just say this. You know, you have to know this part's not for you. you you've never been in the presence of Jesus. Jesus, again, hasn't audibly, again, by extension, as we look at the words of Scripture, certainly, but Jesus, again, hasn't audibly spoken to you. You know, we haven't seen his example. When you look at the apostles, they have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. They can see his life. They can hear his teaching. You know, they've had this three years of advanced training. They've had these three years of the example of the Lord Jesus. And when he says in this verse, again, these things have I spoken to you while I'm still with you, you know, uh, broadly, it's all of his life, but narrowly, what it's talking about is every promise that happens to be in this sermon right here. And this is what you have to realize. Unless you recognize the validity of Jesus Christ and his message and his mission, 
You can't take great comfort in the promises. You know, that happened to be right here. And they would go through a dark time. You know, we, we realized that, that the next day and all the events that happened to be the next day until the resurrection. But they're not going to get any comfort from these promises because they do not understand the mission of Jesus Christ. And they had to understand that, 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 uh, that mission. And, and like I said just a few minutes ago, we would have given up on the people like the apostles. You know, even if we gave counsel to, uh, to a Jesus, we would say, Jesus, you tried long and hard with these people. You know, they're just not going to see the message. They're just not going to get what you're teaching. They're just not going to be with the program. Choose other individuals. And like I say, the great encouragement that happens to be, again, uh, there is we're, we're uh, just like them. And the Lord, this is the amazing thing, the Lord never gives up on his people, but he also guarantees that change will come into our lives and we will persevere. And it's not because of our greatness. It's because of this promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, and there's three descriptive terms. Just before I read verse number 26, there's three descriptive terms that are used of the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen two of these. There's a third one that happens to be again new, but the first one again happens to be again the helper. It's also counselor. It's also comforter. You know, and we realize whatever we go through in life, whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever trials that we happen to be going through, this is the wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's our counselor. He's our helper. He's going to give us the necessary grace, the necessary mercy, whatever we need, the necessary strength to go through whatever he has called us to go through. It's an incredible promise. You know, of his ministry that happens to be amongst us. Not only that, he's not only called the divine counselor, but when you look at the spirit, there's always a descriptive word before the spirit, isn't it? And what is he? He is the Holy Spirit. So think of what he wants to produce in each one of us. He wants us to produce the holiness of Jesus Christ, right? He wants us to have the holy love, the holy grace, the holy mercy, the holy forgiveness, the holy righteousness. He wants us to emulate, to reflect that holiness again of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the new term that is brought in here that teaches us about the Holy Spirit is this. He is the divine teacher, isn't he? He's the one, again, who would teach the disciples. And you can see that in verse number 26 because it says this. It's being communicated by the Helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the apostles' ministry is absolutely unique here. They're unique, again, as far as this ministry of the Spirit of God that happens to be in their life. And I love this because all three members of the Trinity are mentioned here, aren't they? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the direction as far as the divine teacher happens to be on the Holy Spirit of God. Now, think about it. Because we have to understand, if we're going to understand, if we're going to apply this to ourselves, and if we're going to see the extension of the promise that happens to be again of ourselves, then we have to understand why this is so critical, why this is so necessary in their life. You know, and he tells us uh, be, uh, what he's going to do. He's going to teach you all things, and he's going to bring into remembrance all that he said to you. Now, what does it mean that he's going to teach you all things? And this is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the disciples, that the apostles are going to know everything that there is to know. Or even everything that there is to know about God. And why? Because God's infinite. Right? 
God is infinite. We are finite. But what it's promising is that he will teach them, he will instruct them in everything that's necessary for life and godliness. Everything about the plan of Jesus Christ to build his church. Everything that's necessary for, we, for us even to function as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will also bring, again, all things to, in remembrance. Now, why is that necessary? And the reason why it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to bring all things into remembrance is this. We forget. Isn't it true? And think about that, because one of the knocks of liberal uh, theologians, and you will hear this if you read their writings, is basically when you look at all the Gospels, all the Gospels are written late. None of them are written around uh, just after the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, John's Gospel that we're reading here was actually written around the turn of the century. John might have been in the 80s, 90s. He might have even been approaching the century mark. And we all know what happens when we get older, Right? Our memories, our remembrance are not what they used to be. And here's what liberal theologians taught. Over the the decades, over the decades, over the decades, the myth of Jesus grew. You know, and there's no way that we can know today how Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ was, what what he did. And we counter that as Bible-believing Christians by this that the Holy Spirit of God would bring to remembrance the apostles of everything that he did, everything he accomplished, everything that he taught. Otherwise, there would be an accuracy again in all of these things. And we have that accurate, infallible message that happens to be again with us today. And I love the way it's worded. Because the Spirit's going to do two things, isn't he? He's going to bring all things into remembrance, and he's also going to teach them everything that's absolutely necessary. And what, what does that cover? That covers the whole New Testament, doesn't it? You know, it covers the Gospels, bring everything into remembrance, and I'll teach you all things, all things that are necessary. And that covers the book of Acts, it covers all the epistles, and it covers the book of Revelation, it covers everything. So we have everything that we need to teach us about justification, to teach us about security of salvation, to teach us about sanctification, to teach us about our ultimate, our ultimate hope of glorification through the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have this book that happens to be again right here. You know, let me just give you an example of how this played out. You know, you'll, you'll remember when Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16 asked the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, and he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father that happens to be in heaven. You know, and, and there's a great high point in Peter's life, isn't it? And then Jesus goes on and says, okay, I'm going to talk about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. You know, when we go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be taken by the religious leaders. I'm going to be scorned. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be spit upon. And they're going to put the Son of Man to death. And Peter takes Jesus aside and rebukes him, right? And then we come, here here we go, fast forward to the day of Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2. You know, and Peter stands up and he preaches Jesus Christ. He preaches him crucified, risen from the grave as the only hope. This is necessary. Now, who taught him that message? Who who taught him those truths? And the one who taught him those truths are Jesus Christ. You know, and I really love this, you know, because when we look at this, every single new Testament book 
is either written by apostle or has apostolic authority, verification that happens to be again um, there. So when I hold the New Testament, when I preach the New Testament, I am preaching the apostolic doctrine, but I'm also preaching this, the doctrine that has been given, that has been taught by the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, it tells me beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is authoritative, this is true, this is the authentic message that's been given to us by a holy God. It's absolutely incredible, you know, and we realize these things, but, there, uh, but as we look at this, uh, there's also something else that with that we have to see, you know, and that is that the New Testament scriptures are not just facts. They're not just doctrines, you know, that, that, that we might fancy our minds or grow in knowledge, you know, of all of these things. But notice what Jesus says in verse number 26. In, in, I'm sorry, John chapter 15 in verse number 26. He says this. He's, he says it a little different. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Here it is. He will bear witness about me. So here is the ministry of the Spirit of God through the Word of God to point to Jesus Christ, to elevate to the Lord Jesus Christ. So any ministry, any, again, uh, Christian organization, any preacher who is not pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ as the main feature, as the main aspect, as the main theme, is not preaching the Word of God that has been handed to us by the Spirit of God. A Christianity that does not have Christ as its center center, is not a spirit-filled Christianity and is not a biblically saturated Christianity. He is our all. Now, think of it. That's the meaning of the text, right? It's not a promise that's given to us. But how can we apply this to our lives? How can we see the the um, uh, the uh, the uh, application, a- a- anyways, to our lives? And it's quite simple. And it's basically this: we need the Spirit of God in our lives, or we will never come to the right understanding. The right again. Um, is seeing the right significance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're dead spiritually. And therefore, again, dead spiritually people will never come to the right understanding or really see the significance of the message. It's not saying that they can't understand that, that we teach that Jesus is God in human flesh or Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life or Jesus died a substitutionary death or Jesus rose from the grave. Those are easy truths to understand. But here it is. They will never see the significance They will never understand that this is the only hope of glory. And why is that? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14. It says, a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So here's an unsaved person, and they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's the conclusion? They've understood what you've taught as far as all of these points that happen to be right here. But this is what they say. This is absolutely foolish idiotic to believe that God would come in human flesh and die such a miserable death on a cross. And if that's what you're hoping for, you boy, boy, are you ever idiotic. That's moronic. And that's the conclusion that they come to. Now think about it. Because when we hear that gospel, even when we sing about that gospel as we did tonight, we see it as none other than the wisdom of God. Now here's the question. How can we come to that conclusion when they come to that conclusion? Same message. 
And this is why it's taught, it's taught it, uh, just before uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, and in verses 12 and 13, it says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now why did we receive the spirit of God? This is why. That we might understand the things freely given to us from God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Human wisdom would say it's idiotic but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths with those, who are sp with those who are spiritual. Now, when it says again and names that spiritual, those, th those who are spiritual, it just means those who are inhabited by the Spirit of God. It's just talking about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not talking about some elite Christian that happens to be again right here. And here's the thing. Why do we come to a right understanding of the Scriptures? And here's why. is because of the Spirit of God. It clicks. It makes sense. We say, aha. We say, this is our only hope. And what's that evidence of? That's evidence that we are being taught by none other than the Spirit of God. And it's not saying that we don't need human teachers in the church. We realize that they're gifts of the Spirit that are being given to us by God. You know, and we realize that the message, Jesus is active, Jesus is living in that message. But without the ministry of the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter how, uh, how charismatic, it doesn't matter how elusive the message happens to be, nobody will ever come to Christ without the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in their lives and in, in their hearts. Now, here's the thing you have to realize. The Holy Spirit is not only necessary in bringing people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit, again, as our divine teacher, is absolutely necessary all the way through our Christian lives. You know, you have this um, in John chapter 14, verse number 26, the verse we've been looking for, because look at what it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring in your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, here's this Holy Spirit's ministry, to bring into remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, think about that. Why is that necessary again in the disciples' lives? And it's necessary in the disciples' lives is why? It's because they're going to forget some things. They're going to remember things, maybe even inaccurately. And here's the Holy Spirit, and he comes in their life. Now think about it. Why would the Holy Spirit need to remind us of divine truth? And this is why. Because we forget. Isn't it true? You know, um, Chloe was asking me the other day, she was saying, Grandpa, do you have enough books? And my answer was no. <laughs> she looked at them all that happened to be again right there, and I, and I don't know how many thousand books I, I have, and then I have more that happen to be again in the office. I don't know how many digital books again I have. And, and it's incredible, because when you look at the, all those books and all those books that I've, read, that I've read over my Christian life, here is the humbling truth. Listen to this. I have forgotten more about God, more about what I've read than what I remember. Isn't it true? And here's the thing that happens, you know, in life. And we all know this. Life, this world will bump us. And when this world bumps us, so often we lose our hope. We lose, again, we, we don't remember what is absolutely significant. 
And I think we can, all, um, uh, we can all agree that we've had this experience. You know, you come out to church and you're so frustrated, you're so angry, you know, so-and-so did this, you know, this happened again at work, or we feel, again, so hopeless and so depressed, but we put ourselves in the place to be among the people of God. We don't even know why we're here. And then all of a sudden, the preacher starts preaching. He starts preaching about our hope in Jesus Christ. And remember what Jesus did for us. And all we can see is the love of God. It's amazing how much I am loved by this great God. And all of a sudden, we can feel hope start to rise in our hearts. Or we're reminded, even, even as Tim said um, in the introduction that happened to begin right here, that God is sovereign. He's a sovereign lover of our souls that has planned everything to come into my life for my good and for his glory. And the events of my life, the suffering of my life, the hardship of my life are for my good. And my God is in control. And all of a sudden, hope. All of a sudden, again, that joy starts to flood our souls. Or have you ever come in and say, man, my life is so rotten. It's nothing is ever going to change. And then we hear about glory. And then we realize as we sit there and we comprehend this glorious reality, this glorious future that's ours through the Lord Jesus Christ, I am one day closer to that reality of divine change coming in our life. And what's happened? We haven't heard any new truths. What's happened? God the Spirit has reminded us of these old, old truths that were absolutely necessary in our lives. Isn't it amazing? You know, and I think there's an application even for preachers. You know, even for those who teach and preach, who, who, who echo forth the truths of the, of the Scriptures. And it's basically this. I, I, I mean, think about this. You know, I've never taught anything novel. I've never taught anything new. You know, as I stood in this pulpit, all I've announced is old, old, in fact, ancient truths. That's all it is. You know, the people who come out, what they expect to hear when they come out is basically this. The Lord's people expect to hear the ancient truths, right, of this old, old book. Why? Because we, we understand, the preacher should understand, but what they need most of all is not something novel, not something new. But what they need is these ancient truths that happen to be this. And I love this because, again, when somebody is converted, when somebody gets their lives right, when all of a sudden they're turned away from a life-dominating sin or all of a sudden the lights go on in their life, the preacher is not praised, is he? Because all he's announced is these old, old truths. There's nothing novel in there. But who is praised? Our great God, the Holy Spirit, who has made these truths living and active in the lives of those who happen to begin the listeners. In fact, when Paul went to Corinth, Corinth was alive. They wanted wisdom. They wanted these very meticulous, these very, again, uh, complicated arguments. They wanted, again, some sort of worldly wisdom. And this is where Paul went. This is how he preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because he realized what they need. They need it. And he says, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of what? Of the Spirit and of power. So that, here it is, your faith, 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Isn't it amazing? No praise to the preacher. No praise to the teacher. Not look at me. Look at him. And we announce these divine truths. And when we announce these divine truths, his spirit-wrought word, the spirit of God, works his power, works his change in our lives and in our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me ask you a question. Because I think this is really central in really understanding a passage that happens beginning like this. How do you know that the Holy Spirit is in your life? How do you know? How do you know that he's transforming you in your life? How how do we know, even as a congregation, that we are a spirit-wrought, spirit-filled, spirit-teaching congregation? How do we know? How do we know that's true about our church? How do we know that's true about our lives? And the way that we know that is well, what was what uh, a verse we quoted uh, um, uh, earlier, and it's in John chapter fifteen, verse number twenty-six. It says, "But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father." Listen to what he says: He will bear witness about me. So here's the Spirit wrought witness through the Word of God, and here's the preacher preaching. And how do we know the Spirit of God is teaching us? How do we know the Spirit of God is instructing us? How do we know the Spirit of God is in our lives changing us? And this is how. Because we love Jesus Christ. We praise him. Right? Right? That's a spirit-wrought life. That's spirit-wrought Christian. That's spirit-wrought church that makes much of Jesus and says he is our all. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God to make much of Jesus Christ. You know, it's all about him. That's, that's what his ministry is about. It's all about Jesus and magnifying, glorifying, putting people's hope, putting our hope in Jesus Christ. You know, I gave this illustration a couple of years ago, so I hope, uh, uh, I, I hope it'll be a refresher. I hope we'll remember. And, and it was basically this. If you go down on the Windsor waterfront, there's what... Uh, right in front of where Connie works, is what is known as the Peace Fountain. And it's absolutely uh, be, uh, beautiful. My wife and I sometimes go for walks down there. We walk around, the spray comes on us, we get a little wet, we laugh a little, and we take a couple more laps. But if you go down at night, it is even better. You know, it's spectacular. They have these floodlights around the uh, uh, fountain and spraying up and spraying in various different designs and, and sometimes they have different color uh, floodlights that are beaming their lights up and you can see people, they're all gathered around the fountain, they're all staring at the fountain and when I go down there I never see somebody like this doing this, you know, everyone's like this nobody's down down like this no one's saying, look at the floodlights aren't they amazing? and why? Because the whole goal, the whole purpose of the floodlights is to, here it is, illuminate the fountain. The whole goal of the Spirit of God is to illuminate the Savior, is to illuminate the Lord. So the question, the main question in the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is never this, do you have the Spirit? The main question in seeing the the Holy Spirit and his ministry in our life is this. 
Do you love Jesus? Are you loving him more? Are you praising him more? Are you wanting to grow to be more like him and apprehend him, more intimacy with this great one? That's his whole ministry. We are the products of his ongoing ministry today. Praise him. Praise our great God. His ministry should give us so much confidence as we look at his word, as we look at the scriptures, and recognize, again, their power, his power in our life through him. We can look to Christ and love him because of his ministry in our life. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing text of Scripture. Oh, God, what an amazing promise. And God, so often we don't see the glory of the promise because we don't ask the question, is this promise for us? And so we walk away not seeing the great hope, not seeing the veracity of the New Testament Scriptures that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have everything necessary for life and godliness in this book that you've given to us, in this revelation, in this codified message. And Lord, so often when we don't understand the promise that happens to begin right here, we cannot understand his ministry in our life. And Lord, we're not led to glorify, to praise you when change does come. I just pray, Lord, that as we see this message, as we see the ministry of the Spirit of God, it would give us great confidence that we can change. We can be molded into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can grow in loving Christ, no matter what obstacles happen to be in our life, because of his great ministry. We thank you so much. Just be with us now as we go to our song service. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.